Father, we want to hear from the prophets of old. We want to have encounters with the living God and his throne. And we thank you for men like Daniel and women like Ruth and Esther. But we give you this now, Lord. Just give it to you now. Welcome back. Two-week rest to Daniel. We're in chapter 7. We're halfway there through the book of Daniel. And uh, I've got to be honest, I'm excited about what I've been finding. I'm about three talks ahead in my research, not in writing it out. And uh, just really excited because I think now when we look at the first six chapters of Daniel is all about the historical, what was happening at the time to Daniel and his three friends and what was happening around King Nebuchadnezzar and then you know, into his grandson, Belshazzar, and then into Darius, and then eventually going to Cyrus. And uh, Daniel survived three kings. Uh, it's incredible. You know, there was a young man at the age of 16, taken out of everything that he knew, everything that was comfortable, everything, and immersed into the most occultic um, nation on this earth. And then we have a look at the, the chapter 2 of Nebuchadnezzar's dream and we go right the way through and we now know that the, the six kingdoms, we always say five, but there's six because there's the stone that's cut out of the, the mountain but not cut out by human hands but by the hand of God. That, that's the sixth kingdom. This kingdom will have no end. And then we looked at the the, the, the names of the Lord, you know, the names of the Most High God. Um, and see Daniel being just taken out when he took his, when he got to that point of, of the lion's den where he couldn't go any further. And he just said, okay, Lord, if it's you going to save me, then you're going to have to do it now. And then we said, we've learned how to take our hands off our lives and just say, Lord, you put your hands on it. We can't go any further. But we're now coming into the second half of the book, which is all about eschatology, which is basically the study of the end times. There is such incredible depths just in the first, in this first chapter of, of chapter seven, such incredible depths. You are going to look at me, look at me. You are going to know more by the end of this, this talk than the majority of the church that people sat in churches. You're going to know more about the prophetic and how to recognize it, how to read it for yourselves in a new way. I promise you, by the end tonight, you'll be able to look at books like Ezekiel. You'll be able to look at books like Daniel. You'll be able to look at books like uh, Revelation just by having six words explained to you. 
that are constantly repeated. So you can start studying it for yourself and saying, Lord, let that spirit of prophecy, which is who? Jesus, come upon you and teach you. So there's lots of symbols with all of these prophetic uh, things that Daniel saw. But do you know what amazes me? Is Daniel gives us so many clues and so many things and he explains it and and you're thinking, why Daniel are you talking about this? Is because it's more relevant to our times than it was to Daniel's time. And if we do not understand this and these next coming chapters... We have got no hope of understanding Revelation because Daniel sets the bar up here so high. And in my opinion, you know, what John saw wasn't as deep as what Daniel saw by any stretch of the imagination. So we're going to have a look at this and there's, we've got to understand, you know, that when you get a, a, a grasp of these symbols and these words of prophecy, it's really, to un- it's really easy to understand the basics of what Daniel is talking about and John. And I'm going to show you six words that, that when you see them in the book of Daniel and you see them in the book of Revelation, you're going to be able to grasp straight away what God is saying in us, what God is showing us. And by the end of this chapter, you're going to know and have a really good idea of who the Antichrist is going to be. I promise you. I'm going to unpack this. Just chapter 7 is going to be like three talks because it's, it's really deep stuff. But if we're caught unaware at this time and we do not see what Daniel is saying in chapter 7, we're going to miss it. The word says that even if it could be possible, that even the very elect could be deceived. But we will not be deceived if we grasp this. This chapter 7 will just be like a stepping stone. I can feel the anointing in the room. It's like a stepping stone of understanding the end times. Not just the end times, but the end day. What we've got to look for. Where we've got to look. Geographically, where is this going to come out of from? And boy, oh my word. I keep saying this. We are a lot further than most of the church realize where we are. We're so far into this. I can almost see the tape across the finish line. I can almost see it. We're coming around that final bend. You know, and this is where the weary will go strong. That we will rise up with the wings like eagles to soar above all the circumstances that's coming on this earth. And this is a blueprint for what God is going to do. So, chapter 7 to chapter 12 is basically... Um, escapetology, which is his study of the end times and prophecy. And we see from just some, some real historical things going right the way through from 624 BC is the birth of Daniel. And then we see in 607 is Jerusalem's capture by Nebuchadnezzar and the start of Daniel's 70 years of captivity. In 603 BC, you have Nebuchadnezzar's dream. In 680 BC, Nebuchadnezzar's statue of gold and go right down to the toes that is made of iron and and clay. And we can go right the way through to uh, 562 BC, which is Nebuchadnezzar's death. But did you realize that chapter 7 was written before Belshazzar's reign? It was written just around and just after Nebuchadnezzar's death, chapter 7. And it goes totally in line with chapter 2. So this wasn't, because, you know, we're, we're going we're to unpack it. And when we, when we read 
It's like when we read chapter 7, we've got to remember this was before Belshazzar comes on the throne. Only when it comes down to 8 and 9 do we see that Belshazzar is on the throne. But in chapter 7, Daniel is writing this before he's even arrived on the throne. So then we see in 539 BC, Belshazzar's death. And we know that, we can pinpoint it, we can know the exact date when Babylon was taken by the Medes and the Persians under Darius. And then in 538 BC, Cyrus says it's time to release the Jews. And we see that at the end of chapter 6. Daniel knew by counting down the days that the time was coming for the Jews to return back to Jerusalem. And he, I fully, I, I expect, and I suspect that Daniel thought that he would be going back to Jerusalem. But we know that he never got there. But we've got to remember that chapters 12, 10 to 12 were written in around about 534 BC. This is in Cyrus's day. So chapter 7 is before Belshazzar's reigns. And do you know, most pastors in churches will not go past chapter 6 of Daniel. They will not. I've never heard, I mean, pastors, and I've never sat in a church and had anybody explain to me anything past Daniel chapter 7 to chapter 12. Why? Because they're not taught it in schools. They're not taught it in their Bible colleges. They're not taught this sort of thing that you are going to hear. You're going to have more information by the end of tonight about the end times and what most pastors will not teach you. And I'll come to why I keep referring to that. So I'm going to give you some keys to prophecy. So when you read these books, you'll be able to understand some of the prophecies that are written in them. Now, you don't have to write it down. You can get hold of the the tape, and then you can write it down in your own time. Number one, winds. Whenever you see winds in the Bible, it usually speaks of strife, aggression, or force. That the winds, let the winds of the four corners, it says in Revelation, to be released. That will be releasing of strife and aggression and force. Number two, when you see the word sea, the beast comes out of the sea, it's talking about the sea of people, the sea of humanity. So something is going to rise out of people. Um, It could be people, it could be tongues, it could be nations. When you see beasts, or the mention of beasts, it means political powers, or kingdoms, or a ruler. And you can pick that up in things like Daniel 7.3, 7.17, 7.23, Jeremiah 4, 7, 10, 17, uh, 34, uh, 43, and verse 44 of Jeremiah 4. So beast means kingdoms, political powers, or rulers. Right? So we know there is going to be a beast coming out of the sea, and we see in, in Revelation... And we see this in Daniel as well. He sees the four beasts coming out of something. And it's going to be from the people. We've got to remember that. It's a sea of humanity. So the beast is going to come as a person out of a sea, a multitude of people. When you see wings, W-I-N-G-S, not winds, don't get it mixed up, wings, like the wings of an eagle. It means swiftness. This is going to happen incredibly quick. It's going to have swiftness of movement as well as the extent and swiftness of conquest. Um, 
or it's going to mean flight. Not fight, flight. So the three things, swiftness of movement, extent of a conquest, and the flight of something. And we see this in things like Daniel 7, 4, Ezekiel 17, Habakkuk 1, Revelations 12, Jeremiah 4, Deuteronomy 28. Number five, heads. These are really key for you to understand the books of Daniel and the book of Revelation. Heads means kingdoms or kings of political powers or branches of government. So it's things like heads of state. So when you see heads, they're kings of political... They could be kings of nations, they could be kings of political powers or branches of government. And we see this in in Daniel 7, verse 6, Revelations 12, verse 3, uh, Revelations 17, 3, verses 8 and 10 as well. So things like heads of state. Horns. Horns can mean strength. It's, in other words, it's, a, it's strong, but, but mostly in the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation, when you see horns, again it speaks of kingdoms or kings or political powers, usually arising out of something else. Usually arising out of something. So we're going to have a look at some of these, these key words and these key prophecies that are related to us. And we can see this in, 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 in Daniel 2 and Daniel 7, but especially Daniel 7, because Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the statue, remember the statue, the head of gold, the, the, the chest and the arms of silver, the belly and the thighs of bronze, and then the legs of iron. And then eventually the feet, which is a mixture of iron and clay. These prophetic words and these things that we see are are basically kingdoms. But now we see Daniel, after after, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's death and before Belshazzar comes onto the throne, basically you see Daniel having an incredible vision. He is seeing part of the fulfillment, not the, the fullness of the fulfillment, what Nebuchadnezzar saw in the dream. And this is where we're going to pick it up. Um, but one thing I want to, I want to um, say is that we're talking about worldly kingdoms. We're not talking. There's only one uh, spiritual kingdom, and there has been an age-old battle from the fall of Adam and Eve to the very point that we're at history now. There has been a battle between good and evil. And what God is going to be using from his realm for good, he's going to be using us. In the same way, Satan uses kingdoms, nations, and people to bring his power and his authority and his reign onto us. But I want you to remember this, is the fact that the devil's already been defeated. He's already been defeated it says quite clearly that he has a scar on his head. What's the scar caused by? The death of Jesus on the cross that delivered to Satan a mortal blow that hasn't yet been fulfilled fully. Why? Because God is waiting for us. He's waiting for us to wake up, to recognize who we are, what we've got, and to be alongside him in this final battle. He will not do it any other way. He will not do it any other way. So, we are literally, if you want to know where we are in time, I can pinpoint you to the exact time that we're at. And it's easy to pick up. It's Ephesians 6 verse 12. For we battle not against flesh and blood, 
but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. We are at that edge where there are principalities and powers over regions, over nations, over areas. There are workers of darkness in people. There are workers of wickedness in heavenly places. That's the second heavens. There is a demonic power over the Middle East. And we know that from the book of Daniel. There's a demonic power. There's a demonic principality over the Middle East. Do you want to know his name? The Prince of Persia. The Prince of Persia. That's the demonic principle that is over the whole of the Middle East. He is still over places like Syria, Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Lebanon, Egypt, Israel. These are spiritual wickedness in high places. In Revelation 11.15, it says the seventh trump, the kingdom proclaimed, and the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So all these kingdoms, these kingdoms that are, are up there in the demonic, over <clears throat> the kingdoms of this earth, eventually will come under one kingdom. That will last forever and ever, ever and ever and ever and ever. And guess who is going to rule and reign with them? You and me. We are going to take dominion. We are going to recover. We are going to take nations. We are going to take cities. We are going to take towns. We are going to take people. We're going to be released. And we're going to have the authority to speak into these heavenly places and remove them. But only when God says, only when it's time, only when it's, it's, uh, it's apparent. But I want to qu- ask you this question. What spiritual wickedness is over the United Kingdom? What principality is over the United Kingdom? What spiritual wickedness is there over Sheffield? What is there over Utterbridge and Grenoside in this area? What spiritual wickedness is over there? We need to understand We need to say, Lord, show us. And then show us, Lord, how to bring these principalities down and defeat them and put you up. And this is why we have an open heaven. An open heaven, whenever you hear that, means it's without any demonic influence. That God has broken something in the heavens and brought his heaven through that portal. And that's what I believe this church is going to be. It's going to be an open heaven where there is no demonic influence. There will be no sickness. There will be no diseases. There will be no infirmities. There will be no paralysis. There will be nothing. People will be set free. People will walk through that threshold and there is going to be an open heaven above us. But what we should be praying is, God, remove the principality over us. Remove it over us, Lord. Not that we're to do that fight because we're not called to do it unless God tells us. Because if he tells us, he'll tell us how to do it and what to do. We, <laughs> we must never, ever go into this battle, into this realm, without God's authority. Otherwise, it will kill you and your family. And if you want to read a book by John Paul Jackson, we've got it at the back, it says Casualties of War. It ex- Needless casualties of war. It's an incredible book, and I would strongly recommend every Christian to read it. 
This is about to stop. How? Lord, let thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We're about to see that. We're about to see the, the kingdom of God invade the kingdom of man. Matthew 8, uh, Matthew 4, verses 8 says, Again, the devil took him up to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I give to you if you will fall down and worship me. What the devil's saying here is, Look, Jesus, if you fall down and worship me, I'll stop all the killing, I'll stop all the suffering, I'll stop all the hurting if you just turn to me. And do you know what amazes me about that is the devil had it to give. He had it to give. How? Through Adam. Adam released that, released the kingdoms, the nations of this world into the hands of the devil, and he had it to give. And we are being daily influenced by the devil. Daily. We are under such pressures of spiritual wickedness in high places. How do we know that? Ephesians 2 verse 2. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now works in sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. God chose you and he found you in that place of disobedience. And God found me in that, that, that quagmire of the world. And he has brushed us and washed us clean by his son's blood. And I keep saying as we walk, as we walk and all about our walk is about bending away from self and bending towards God. That's all our walk is, is bending away from ourselves and the lusts of the flesh, satisfying ourselves and saying, Lord, all I want to do is bend with your will, not my will be done, but let your will be done. Satan is God of this world. And that will stagger most people, most churches. Satan is God of this world. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8, we are hard-pressed on every side. How many people have felt over the last two years, hard-pressed on every side. Amen. <laughs> I have. Yet not crushed. God will not allow his bride to be crushed. We might be hard-pressed, but we will not be cr crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed always carrying about in the body the dying of our Lord Jesus Christ, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. God is coming into his people before he comes for his people. God is going to inhabit the praise of his people. God is going to come and have a tabernacle of David in his people. God is going to be shown strong and mighty in his people. That's what the Bible says. So why are we still sick? Why are we still lame? Why are we still having pity parties? Why are we still like this? Why are we like this? It's because we don't know who we are in Christ. We don't recognize what we have in him. He has set us free. He has done everything. When he said on the cross, it is finished, everything is finished. But we're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We might be struck down, but we're not destroyed. 
But he is not in control of this world. He is not in control of this world. John 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but will have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world should be saved through him. We are about to see that happening. We are about to be on the brink of, pr- of putting the blood of Jesus upon a hard-pressed people and seeing this world saved. There are going to be more people ending up in heaven and on his kingdom than there are going down to hell. That is a guarantee. That is an absolute guarantee. For God loved us. But we have a free choice and the devil knows us. He will put people, he'll put situations, he'll put circumstances, he will put hurts, and he will put miscommunication into our lives to deceive us. But we are hard-pressed, but what? Not destroyed, not crushed, not deceived. So what circumstances, what situations that you have had, let's learn from them. There's all kinds of stuff that, that will, he will try and do to make you give up your faith. And God is looking for people like Job and Daniel who will not give up no matter what is thrown at them. So the beasts in chapter 7 are of an old age battle going on. And we cannot lose sight of the bigger picture and be overwhelmed by it. We cannot lose sight of, of, of who we are and what we've got and what's coming to us. We are not meant to be overwhelmed by anything of this world. This world. We're meant to be overwhelmed by God's world. We're meant to be overwhelmed by, by the name of Jesus. That's the world that we're meant to be overwhelmed with. We belong more to that world than we do this world. So we should be absolutely overwhelmed by that world. Do you follow it? Yet our circumstances and our influences, it would seem that we're more influenced by this world than having our sights on him. What's your opinion? What's your estimate of God? Is he your Jehovah Jireh? Is he your Jehovah Rapha? Is he your Elion? Is he all of these things? What is your estimate of him? But what we're about to see in chapter 7 is what is about to come on earth. And it's in full colour. This is in full colour. This isn't black and white. This is in full colour. And it's as colour as God is about to paint this picture to Daniel. Why? So he doesn't forget what's about to happen. What does the picture say? It's like a thousand words. And this is where chapter 7 is incredibly visual. We see in verses 1, 9, 11, 13, 4, 9, 11. It says, I saw, I saw, I saw, I saw, I watched, I watched, I watched. Everything is visual. And chapter, this is why I've had to divide it into three parts, because chapter 7 is divided into three parts. In the first part, Daniel sees the vision of the four beasts. What are the beasts? Keep that in mind. The second part, from 9 to 14, he's caught up into the throne room where he gets an incredible, the most incredible glimpse of what heaven looks like. It was bigger than what he saw Ezekiel saw. It was bigger than what Isaiah saw. It was certainly bigger than what John saw. He gets the fullness of it. Why? To sustain him for what he's about to be shown. To sustain him. To remind Daniel, like God is trying to remind us, I'm in control. I'm in control. I'm in control. So in verse 1, Caesar's going back in the time before 
Babylon falls and Darius comes in. In Daniel 1 verse 7, the vision of the first four beasts. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a vision and a dream of his head while his head was on the bed. Then he wrote down the dream telling us the main facts. Daniel is living in total obscurity, but God is still speaking to him and giving him dreams and visions. Folks, we might be in obscurity, we might be hidden, we might, the, the, the world doesn't want to know us, but I'll tell you what, God is speaking to us. God was speaking to Daniel in his obscurity. He wasn't ruling and reigning in the courts of Nebuchadnezzar anymore. He was in the backwaters. He wasn't even in Babylon. He was not even in Babylon. Babylon. And just because things aren't happening right now does not mean that we're not forgotten by God. We're on God's agenda. We're on his menu. And we've got to be totally in his total perfect timing. This is not going to happen to us a minute too early and it'll certainly not happen a minute too late. Because we're in his perfect, we're in his perfect will. Here we are looking at buildings. I'm not worried about the building. That's God's. You know, God's going to show us what building He wants us to have, what buildings, plural, He wants us to have, and we'll be reaching out with that—a revival that will bring in the apostolic reformation that God wants to bring on, which are the plans to this earth and the earth to come. That's what we're going to be doing, and. Daniel, like us, might be a forgotten people, but we're not forgotten by God. And really important to remember that. Isaiah 49, verse 14 to 16 says, But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have not the compassion of a son of her womb? Surely they may, surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you, declares the Lord. See, I have you, listen to me, see, I have you inscribed on the palms of my hand. Your walls are continually before me. Do you know what that's saying? That every time Jesus looks down and he sees the scars in his hands, he looks and sees us, the price that he paid for us. He's got it inscribed in the palm of his hands through the cross. And he can't look at it any other way but through the palms of his hands. It's inscribed there. And he will not forget us. I will know your ways, says the Lord. And I will know you always, says the Lord. So verse 2, Daniel spoke saying, I saw in the vision of by night, and behold the four winds of earth and the stirring of the great sea. Winds, what is winds? Winds is strife, it's aggression or force. What is sea? It's people. So, there is great strife about to come on the earth and it's going to come out of the great sea, the great multitude of people. Daniel 3, and four great beasts came out from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had the eagle's wings. Are you understanding me now? Right? I watched till all the wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man and a man's heart was given to it. So it basically says, I saw four great aggressive beasts 
coming out of the great sea of people. So what was coming out of the earth? Four great beasts. What a beast represents? Kingdoms or political powers. So this is what it basically is saying in, in verse 3. I see four great kingdoms that are going to rise out of the sea of people that will bring great strife and aggression with them and it will move swiftly. Verse 4. The first was like a lion and it had eagle's wings. And I watched till all the wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on the two feet like man and a man's heart was given to it. Daniel sees a winged a winged lion. What does lion represent? King of the jungle. It's the king of the jungle. It's, it's the strongest beast. It's the one that rules, the, the, rules the, 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 the earth. How do we know Jesus has? The lion. The king of Judah. The lion. Swings means swiftness and be able to cover big areas very quickly. That's what an eagle does. The wings like an eagle. It means that they can cover incredible distances very, very quickly. So here we have a lion that is able to conquer large areas quickly and with force. But what does plucked wings mean? Basically, it loses its ability to conquer quickly. Do you follow this? So we see a, a lion that's the king, it's the king of the jungle with wings, coming on with wings, and if you have a look, it has more than one wing, and yet it has its wings plucked off. So this lion at one point was conquering with such swiftness great areas of people, great areas, and eventually something comes along and plucks its wings off. So it can't conquer anymore. And man, what does it mean? It loses the ability to conquer quickly. But man, in other words, this beast gets human feelings and emotions and sees like a man. Who on earth is Daniel seeing here? And what Daniel is seeing is in direct parallel with chapter 2. It's the head of gold. It's speaking about Babylon. The lion is Babylon. It's speaking about Nebuchadnezzar, the head of gold. The one that was able to incredibly quickly conquer large areas with incredible swiftness. With the use of horses and cavalry and, and uh, chariots. was incredible swift. But then we see that the lion will be defeated by the bear. Are you getting this? Are you with me? Yes, this is incredible prophetic words. And you're getting it. You're getting this. So you will be able to read these things now for yourself. So verse 5, And suddenly another beast, a second, like a bear, was raised up to one side. So in other words, you see one side of the bear slightly raised up and the other side slightly lower. Keep that in your mind. Raised up to one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. This is pure prophecy as Daniel is still living under the Babylonian reign. Darius hasn't taken over yet. The Medes and the Persians have not even come into the picture yet. But Darius is seeing this for the first time as complete, pure prophecy. And what is the bear? The bear is the chest of silver. It's the Medes and the Persian Empire. And what happened with the Medes and the Persians? The Medes came in under Darius, but it was taken over 
And there was the other side of the kingdom, the Persians. That's where the bear is over to one side. There was one that the Persians went further than the Medes did. They consolidated. They went further and they expanded much more than the Medes and the Persians. So you're seeing the Medes and the Persians as the breasts and the arms of silver, but there's two sides to it. It's the Medes and the Persians. And one of those nations is going to be greater than the other. Do you get it? It's exciting, isn't it? You're seeing pure prophecy unravel for you. But we see that, the, that just like silver, it's inferior to gold. And just like the bear is inferior to the lion. The lion is the beast that can kill the bear. If there was a fight between a lion and a bear, I know where my money would be. It would be definitely on the lion. Bears can't survive a fight against a lion. But somehow, this lion has its wings ripped off. What's the three, the three ribs? Well, if you have a look at what the Medes and the Persians did, there were three aspects of nations they took. They took Babylon, they took Libya, and they took Egypt. Those are the three ribs that were in its mouth. Three nations, three aspects. It's the conquest of Babylon, Libya, and Egypt. Isaiah saw this 113 years before it happened. How does he say it? In Isaiah 45, verse 1. Cyrus... The very prince, the very king that we see in Daniel, 113 years before he even arrived on the scene, is prophesied. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him, to loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors, so the gates will not be shut. God's allowing this to happen. He's in total control. As, uh, Jeremiah 50, 51 verse 45 my people go out of the midst of her and let everyone deliver himself from the fierce anger of the Lord what's he saying here Je- Jeremiah is seeing the, the total surrounding of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar and is warning the people to get out and it's totally warning these people that, that, that things are going to happen you've got to escape Babylon represents the world of sin but I want to say that Cyrus represents Jesus. Cyrus is, 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 Isaiah is is, is describing Cyrus as this, this saving thing, and it's describing Jesus using this situation that Daniel sees to say, do you know what? I'm in control. My son is going to come out of this, and his name is Jesus. Verse six, after this, and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. Not an eagle, a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. The leopard is in chapter 2, is exactly what Nebuchadnezzar saw. It's the thighs of bronze. It's speaking about Alexander the Great, But what does a leopard do? A leopard springs and attacks incredibly quickly and fast. They are the fastest one of of all the cats doing this. But they can pounce further than any cat. The cheetah can run faster, but the leopard strikes quicker. It's talking about the reign of the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great. Four wings. There is incredible swiftness. It's got four wings to it, not two, four. 
This is incredibly quick and goes to the four corners of the world. Do you understand that? Four corners. So it was incredibly quick. And do you know what? Alexander the Great covered this area and conquered it and made a massive empire in less than eight years. It's never been seen before. Eight years, he went out and basically into the four corners of the earth as we know, the civilized earth. I'm not talking about China or Japan or anything like that, but the civilized earth as we knew it then. And eventually, he'd have, you know, what, what he did, he came onto the scene in, in I think, six, no, 331 BC when he defeated Darius. He defeated Darius in, 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 in the battle. But there'd always been battle between the Persians and the Greeks for going on for 100 years. Can anybody remember the, uh, the gates of Thermopylae? The, the, the hot springs. The 300? The Spartan 300? Burn my head. I love that film. Well, they, the 300 Spartans basically took the pass and they held it in Thermopylae. And they held this pass against the thousands upon thousands of, of the Persian army, the best of the Persian army. And they held it. Just 300 men held that pass. That was only narrow. So the, the army might have, and they slaughtered thousands upon thousands. But the Greek Empire rose out. And Alexander the Great conquered the world. But he died at 31 and had no successor. He had children, but his, his main thing was, let the strongest rule. Let the strongest rule. That was what he said. Let the strongest rule. He said, if you're big enough and strong enough to rule, then you'll keep it. If you're not, you're going to die. So what are their four heads on the leopard? What are these four heads? Folks, we have got to get this. We have got to get this. What do heads mean? Anybody remember? They're kings or political powers. So out of the leopard, there are four heads to it. There are going to be four kings or political powers. Do you understand me? And what's amazing here is Daniel is seeing this before it even happens. He is going down the thing, the fall of Babylon, before it's happened. He then goes into the Persian and the Medes before it happens. And now he's seeing Alexander the Great before it happens. But he now is seeing in great detail there are going to be four aspects to Alexander the Great's kingdom. Basically, when he died at the age of 31, well, I could tell you stories upon stories about Alexander the Great. I studied it. I love it. I love ancient history. I just, I just, I love it. But, but Alexander the Great, he died of a flea bite. He died of some sort of mosquito bite. And it came onto him very, very quickly. And uh, he left nowhere. But his four generals, his four generals took up four areas of that kingdom. And you can name, I'll name the, the four generals later. And this is where we see one of them, Otomi, Otomi, A-T-O-M-O-N-E, was the rule, the ruler of Egypt. These, one of these Greek generals was Otomi. And he was the father of Cleopatra. Cleopatra was not Egyptian. She was Greek. But Otomi, her father, ruled the whole province of Egypt. That was one of the areas. So here we are seeing an incredible encounter, an incredible vision that's bringing both the history and the prophetic together. 
And it says in verse 7, After this I saw in the night vision, behold, a fourth beast, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking into pieces, trampling and subduing with its feet. It's an army that marches on its feet. And it was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. Wow. It's talking about the legs of iron. It's Daniel Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar, is talking about the legs of iron. The Romans marched. Their army marched on their two feet. And they carried what they needed. And they were incredibly incredibly ferocious, unbelievably ferocious. I mean, just in one, I mean, that's what the the iron teeth is. They inflicted a reign of terror. They inflicted it from 168 BC right the way down to 476 AD. Over almost 600 years, they ruled with an iron teeth, with with an incredible, they were, they, in one city that they captured, they ran out of trees because they crucified over 5,000 people to make an example. If you don't give in, this is what's going to happen to you. That's what crucifixion was all about. Look what's going to happen to you. If you go this way, this is what's going to happen. It was the most painful death ever devised by man. And the Romans resurrected it from another nation. They resurrected this, 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 this form of capital punishment. You know, and as we see the value of gold going right the way down, in, 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 in monetary sense, gold right going down to iron, it's talking about not just it losing its value, but getting more and more and more and more base. Ferocious. It gets absolutely more ferocious as we're coming. And Daniel sees us. He sees us and it terrifies him. What do ten horns mean? Ten kingdoms or kings that are going to come out of this empire. These are the same... Listen, folks, you've got to listen to this. These are the same heads that Daniel is seeing are the same of chapter 2, the ten toes. The ten toes of chapter 2 of the statue is the same as the ten heads that Daniel is seeing. And boy, are we going to unpack this. We have to unpack it. Because what's it talking about? It's talking about there are going to be ten things coming out of this kingdom of the resurrected Roman Empire. It's going to be the Holy Roman Empire. And listen, I'll just dispel a myth here. The devil or the Antichrist is not the the Pope. Right, get that out of your head. It is not the Pope. And it's certainly not talking about Rome. How do I know that? Well, I'll tell you later. So we know that there is going to be some sort of revived Holy Roman Empire that hasn't happened yet. This has not happened. This is the feet mixed in with clay and iron. It's, the clay speaks of the Middle East. The iron speaks of Rome. There's a big clue for you. Massive clue for you. Massive, massive clue. See, we know that we will see a ten-kingdom federation with ten kings or political powers that will rule over this world. 
and it will come out of this. I guarantee it. Absolutely sure of it. You see, because how do we know? If the three other beasts that Daniel saw have now come to pass, and we know in history that they have come to pass, then this fourth beast and the one after it is certainly going to come. So if we're not paying attention to this, that this beast, the beast that marches has ten horns, it means there are going to be ten kings or ten political powers coming onto the scene. We haven't seen it on the earth yet, have we? They thought it was going to be Brussels. It can't be Brussels. How many federations are there in Brussels now? There's 27 or something. So it can't be talking about Europe. That's another myth to dispel. But it might be one of those horns. Might be Europe. Might be Europe. So out of the ten horns, there are going to be kingdoms or kings or political powers that are going to be coming out of part of another power. Because it comes out of the beast. It's going to be part of another power. But one little horn... One little horn arises out from the ten. It's talking about the Antichrist. And Daniel even tells us the geographical place that he is going to come from. He tells us what he's going to be looking like. He tells us what he will be like. He tells us what he will do. And we are going to know more and understand more about these end times than 95% of Christian sitting in churches. Because our eyes are going to be opened to having a look at what this political world and this political system, something is going to arise out of it. And it's called the Antichrist, the little horn. And we are at that exact point right now today. We will see this little horn arise out of this beast. Of this revived Holy Roman Empire, the Antichrist is going to come. And what intrigues me more is that John and his writing of the book of the Revelation has two-thirds of the same vision. It coincides with two-thirds of the visions that Daniel saw. Why? Because God doesn't want us to miss it. He doesn't want us to absolutely miss what's happening. You cannot read the book of Revelation without reading Daniel. You have to read Daniel first and get what Daniel say, and then you'll understand what Revelation is all about. Because Daniel gets it in such clarity and such hugeness and such detail that John didn't get. Verse 19 and 20, I'm going to f- skip a few verses, okay? I'm going to leave out the vision of the, of the throne room. Then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast because Daniel saw that this fourth beast was terrifying. It absolutely, in fact, it even made him sick. But you're going to see something here. Now listen to me. You need to get this. You need to understand it. Because he tells us there are going to be attributes to this little horn that if we don't see it, we're going to miss it. And we will be deceived. We will get swallowed up by the sea of humanity. Saying, no, he's not. He's our leader. He's the greatest one. If we miss it. And I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others. Exceedingly dreadful. This is the worst of the worst. It's going to be as base as it can ever get. And we have got to get this. 
and its teeth of iron and nails of bronze, which devoured, broke into pieces, and trampled and subdued with its feet, and the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up, before which three fell. So this horn comes up, it takes three other horns out from the ten. How many horns are left? Eight. Eight. Takes three out of the ten. The, the little horn comes up, takes three of the big horns out, so reducing down to seven, but the little horn's still there. Eight. So, right, okay. So, but but it's, it's, it, gets, it gets incredibly intriguing, right? With ten horns, the other horn which came up and three fell. That horn, now listen, had eyes. It had a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. It's incredible. The ten horns talks about there are ten nations or political powers that are going to rise up out of this revived Roman Empire. One little horn will come out of the ten nations. And of three of the horns will be destroyed or amalgamated into this one horn, the little horn, that brings three of these nations that are leaving the seven plus one. Yes? Right? So he'll, the, this little horn will either completely destroy three of, three of these nations, three of these kings, or political powers. We can't forget political powers. He will destroy it, or he will amalgamate them to himself. He will amalgamate three of these political powers to himself. Are you going to read the newspapers in a different way now? Are you going to have a look at the, the, the maps around the Middle East in a different way now? Absolutely. You have to look at it in a different way. Because you're looking for one thing. This president, Obama, is not the Antichrist. He cannot be the Antichrist. And I'll prove it to you. He will have the eyes of a man. In other words, he'll be like you and me. He'll be just like that. But I'll tell you what, he is going to be the smoothest operator. He is going to be the smoothest talker. He is going to, he'll have an oration that will captivate like never seen before. And I'll show you a type of antichrist, Hitler. Hitler in 1934, well, let's go back, 1931. He'd just been released out of prison. He was a non-entity. By 34, he was in charge. In three years, three and a half years, folks, he was in charge. When you look at the date, he was a type of Antichrist. In three and a half years, after 1931 to 1934-35, he came into complete control of the German nation. And if you've ever watched, I don't need to understand what he's saying, I watched the man. When you see him on the balcony of Nuremberg, when he is having his Nuremberg rallies that were filmed by Albert Speer and, and all these incredible you know, men and women, they filmed this because he wanted his nation to see. And he captivated a whole nation. How? With his words. With his words. The Antichrist is going to captivate this world with his words. He will have eyes to see. He'll have a mouth to speak. And his appearance will be unbelievably handsome. Unbelievable. Girls? Mm -mm. This is a man you don't want to mess with. He will charm you into bed. He will, you know, his looks will drive you into his bed. But I've got another little, before we get onto that. 
Hitler captured a nation, and he was a type of Antichrist. And I was just thinking about that. This is a revived Holy Roman Empire that's going to come in and sweep in this world and take control of economy. It's going to take control of religion. It's going to take control of governments. It's going to take control of money. And it's going to usher in a one-world order. Everything the Illuminati want to have is a one-world order. They just don't realize what they're going to get. Remember, he takes over three horns. He usurps or crushes three of those horns. It's interesting. There's a one-world order, and it's going to be backed up with a massively strong and iron-willed killing machine. It's going to be backed up with an army that will not have an ounce of mercy. They'll have one thing, one thing to accomplish, is world dominance. That's what he's after. Chapter 8, verse verse. Uh, so it's going to be one little horn. It's going to be an unassuming man that will rise out of these ten nations and he'll have eyes and a mouth and an appearance to dazzle the world. And I considered these worlds in verse 8. But considering the, thought, the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming out from among them, before whom all three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. It is going to be um, not amalgamated, folks. It's going to be destroyed. When you see something being plucked out by the roots, it's dead. Nothing is alive. It's going to be, it's going to be crushed. It's going to be completely and utterly hammered. Plucked out there in this horn were the eyes like the eyes of man and the mouth speaking pompous words. Eyes of what? These eyes, this Antichrist will have a look and he will look at the, the earth and the way that it is and he will seemingly have incredible compassion for the world. He will, he, will, he will be loved. He will have such compassion. And he will start doing incredible works of getting this compassion. He will have a look at famine. He will have a look at the world economy. And he will have the answer to all of it. He will bring clean water where there has been dirty water. And he will be cleaner than clean. His appearance will be spotless. There won't be a thing about him that, that people won't agree. This guy's good. Look what he's doing. How can, they, how can you call him, you Christians, an antichrist? Look what he's doing. He's feeding the poor. He's giving dirty water. He's taking all out of the villages and he put clean water in. Look what he's doing. How can you call him an antichrist? Why? Because our eyes have been opened. And do you know what? He will turn against us. His army will turn against us and he will try and crush us. He will try and devour us and he will try and root us out of every part of society. This is what's coming and the church is asleep to it. You aren't. And his mouth will do the talking and he will accomplish much in this way. If you think Obama, when he brought hope to millions of black Americans with his speech, was clever. That guy was clever. He, was, he had a political clout like never seen before. Like Tony Blair. Tony Blair did the same. His speech and his oration and his, his finger up in the air. What's that mean? What does that finger up in the air mean? It means my plight comes from authority from on high. And I'll tell you now, it isn't the Lord Jesus. He will look with his eyes and he'll see all the world's problems. He'll look at all the wars and all the crimes and all the famine and all the dirty water. And do you know what? He'll do something about it. 
and he will unite seven nations to fight this and do something about it. Or seven kings, or seven political powers. And his look, his eyes will see way past what he's seeing. He's looking into the bigger picture. He's seeing the vision. We all have vision. We have vision here at Bushfire. And our vision is very clearly mapped out and set out. So will the Antichrist. Vision will be for what? World power. World total dominance, total control and leadership of a one world order. That's what he will do. And I want to say at this point that God is in control. And he will have the final say over our finances. He will have the final say over our health. He will have the final say in the future, what our past and our present. He will have the final say in all of these things. And we are not to lose sight of that. Psalm 91 is our psalm. That we are sheltered in the tabernacle of the Most High God. Yes. 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 Here's my refuge. Here's my fortress. Here's my banner. Here's my... And you can keep going. Here's my banner. He's arm, he's, I'm not worried about my little boy. My little boy is going to be a, 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 a strong and mighty man of God. I teach him now as we play fight. I say, Joshua, just say... Yeah, and we play fight because it's coming. I say, Joshua, before you attack me, just say, Lord Jesus, cover me in the day of battle. Cover me, as, as, as David's men said, the three mighty men. You can read all about it. He, they were covered in the day of battle to do amazing exploits. So I'm teaching my little boy, trust in the name of Jesus, and he will cover you in the day of battle. That's my opinion of my man. That's the opinion of my God. That's the opinion of my estimate of the Most High God, that he will cover us in the day of battle. And we will not go out with a little... We're going to go out with a roaring flame. And guess what that flame will lead to? The gates of hell be lit. And that's where the devil is going to be going. In those gates of hell, into an everlasting fire that will not go out. In the same way that God said, when Neville came with this banner, with this, this torch, he said to me, he said, Andy, there will be a revival that, and this flame will set it ablaze, but it will never go out. We are going to have an open heaven over this church where this revival is going to go across nations. I wouldn't be worried about these seven horns because God is about raising up nations that will fight the Antichrist, that will bring his rule and his reign and his bride into completeness and fullness. And we are those people. But we have to recognize that what is coming on the horizon because that's what we've got to fight. So when the whole world is saying, he's brilliant, he's this, he's that, we've got to say, no, he isn't. He's the Antichrist. He is this, he's not, he's not all that he seems to be. And I promise you, I promise you, promise you, if we follow on this and we get to the end of this chapter, you will know the exact area to look at. Why? Can I leave you this? I'm finishing in two minutes. I could, I could go on a little bit more. You, no, that's another talk. And you know what? You'll get it by the end of the next, the next talk. You have to be here for part two of chapter seven. There's three parts to it. I did tell you. No. I'm not. There's only one person sitting in this room that, that knows 
because he paid me a lot of money. <laughs> Not. No, he didn't. <laughs> Joking. But I'm telling you, it's going to shock you. Are, are, are you excited? Because Daniel, I'm telling you, when we go into the, into the final part of Daniel, he goes into, have a study of it yourself. He is giving us pure, pure prophecy about a particular person. And he wants us to get what he's talking about. And it's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Oh, I'm excited. But we need to look into this in greater detail. And we'll have more of an idea of who this man is, where he's going to come from, and what he's going to do. And we are on the brink of it. I'm telling you, by the end of 2015... He will be on. He'll be there. I'm telling you, this is, this is going to happen. This will happen. He will come up as a little horn. He will seem, oh, don't worry about him. Just a little, little one. He's a little horn. He's a little king. He's a little, he's, don't worry about him. But when we see him take over three, oh boy, <laughs> he'll come into his prominence. I'm telling you, we're into it. Just look <laughs> at what is happening in the Middle East now. Look what is on the Middle East now. Sunni against Shiite. They are battling Muslims against Muslim. Iraq. Oh, I mean, how many boys and men and women did we lose in Iraq? And how many Americans did they lose? For what? This insurgents? To just come in? All we did was create a vacuum for all of this. I'm telling you, when we went to war in Iraq, it wasn't a good idea. It wasn't a good idea. We've got to be careful what we see our government's doing and what the, you know, we've got to be careful. Thank God, even though that, bless him, Lord, bless him, bless him, bless him, that our Prime Minister wanted to go into war into Syria, wanted to back the Americans, but he was voted down. But he wanted to go to war. He did. He, you listen to his speech. He, he backed Obama up in the whole thing of Syria. Damascus will be taken out. It will be nuked, it will be bombed. Something's going to happen to Damascus. We're going to see a fulfillment of a prophecy. It's going to be uninhabited. There are places in Chernobyl that you still cannot go to. I've been there, not to those places. But I've seen the effects that are still happening in Chernobyl. A nuclear accident. What will happen when it's done on purpose? Oh, my word. We're not even, it says in this prophecy that you won't be able to touch or bury the bodies for 10 years. It's coming, folks. It's coming. And this is a wake-up call. Matthew 24, 24. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, and if possible, even the elect. We're the elect. We will not be deceived by this. We will not be put a, to the right or left. We will not be deceived. Why? Because we'll have an understanding of who he is, where he's going to come from, what he will do, what he will look like, and see past the veneer of this showman that's coming on the scene.
excited? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. But he's not on the scene yet. He's around about, he'll be, when he comes to four, he'll be the same age as Jesus. He'll be about 32, 33, in fact, probably about 34 is my estimate. He'll be about 34. So if we see this happening in the next two or three years, he's about 31, 30, 30, 31. He's alive and kicking. Yeah, don't worry, Andy. We'll, we'll kick it out of you. It'll hurt you more than it'll hurt me. But I'm going to bring some parallels, you know, and you, we're going to see this, you know, absolutely unfold. But I love that, you know, when you see this, Daniel has these visions, and then we see immediately, you know, in verse 8, what does he have the vision of? The throne room. The throne room. Why? Daniel, this is really bad, but I'm just going to remind you who's in charge. Yeah, who's in charge? When I stood before the Lord and I looked into his eyes, I knew who was in control. <laughs> I knew that he has got literally the world in his part in the palm of his hand. And we've got nothing, nothing to fear from the Antichrist. Nothing. Because Jesus is in control. He is in total, total control. Amen. Any questions? He's in control of the world, but it's like he might win a battle, but he won't win the war. But he's, he's, he has got dominion over this earth. He knows us. And what our job is, is to do what Adam didn't do, is take it back. And, yeah, through the blood. Does anybody want to ask a question? Bernadette. Yeah. You mentioned that um, there will be like a new Roman Empire yeah. made of ten federations. Just wondering how many years do you think we expect it will take for that new Roman Empire to be established before that, uh, that one horn will come up? Very good question. Very easy to answer. It's already started. Yeah, it's, all, it's, it's already started. It's, it's, it's quite fully established. There's just a few couple of nations that need to be brought to heel. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's already been established, but we will see it probably, I think, if the Antichrist comes onto the scene, this ten federation will all be established. So we'll probably see it in the next two, two years. Two years. Because he'll come out of it. He will... He will come out of these one of these ten nations. There's a big clue for you. I didn't say that. Because six 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 in Greek in Greek numerals it also spells out the Greek word for man. So the devil will be a man. Okay, yeah. The devil. It's just, it's, yeah. It's just, it's basically, it's just basically, it's not a link. No, you can't say it's a link. No, no, you can't say it's a link. The fact is that six 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 spells out man. So the antichrist, the, the devil, it will come as a man. Oh, here we go. 
So this ten, ten nation yep. federation, yep. Um, and over all whole, political over the whole world idea as well. No. Uh, well, you know how like, the Antichrist ultimately has power over yep. the whole world. Yes. So how does how does the ten nation federation, if it's not a, a global thing, because I'm conscious that one of the things is like the United Nations. Potentially going to split the world into ten. It's, there's already, it's already designed. There's already designs in the United Nations. So is there is there is there a case that we could look at the ten in two ways? Yes, absolutely right. Okay. You've got it. Absolutely right. Yeah. There's two ways we've got to look at it. There will be a ten nation federation that will set up, be set up around the world that will be controlled, like North America, South America, <coughs> United, um, Europe. That's three of them. You know, you've got. Middle East four, you got Australia and the Far East five. You know, so you, we've already got these things set up. The Middle East, well, yeah, absolutely. But the second part of it is the Antichrist will come out of not necessarily these nations that John saw. Right, the seven heads with the ten horns. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's twofold. Yeah. Daniel sees it. In its entirety, John saw an aspect of it. Do you understand it? I think so. I, I think it's just a case of trying, maybe because there's a, a numerous references to 10. Yeah, absolutely. In both used by Daniel yep. as well as John. Yep. So it would be good just to kind of know which 10 we're referring to. No. To go through, or whether there is a... A dual is, is there a dual? Is, yeah. there, is there a dual purpose? Is there a dual parallel to the two? Within a ten, so of yep. the ten regions, one of the regions then has a ten within yeah. it. Yeah. So you can have ten kings coming out that then set up ten nations or ten political <coughs> governments that then set up ten geographical places, nations. It's twofold. The other question I had was human mind given to Babylon? Sorry? The human mind that was given to Babylon or human heart. Yeah, so the, the wings taken away and it was put, off, it was put on its two feet and then the human heart Isn't or mind was given to it. Absolutely. Isn't what, what, what does that kind of mean? Well, what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? It's talking about Nebuchadnezzar there. He was made just a man. But what did he do? At the end of his his life, what did he do? He came to the Lord. Okay, so it's a and kind of a... Yeah, that's, that's the connection. Okay. He just became a man. He was not a king anymore. He became a man. And he saw and felt with a man's heart. In other words, he, I believe he was saved. That's one of the scriptures that I would use to, to back up that Nebuchadnezzar was saved. Yeah, anybody else? It's exciting, isn't it? It's really exciting, but... When we have a look at this and we have a look at a bit further detail, you'll understand why, what I'm... I don't want to answer too much now because I want to unpack it. You know, what John saw and what Daniel saw, Daniel saw it in, in very much more detail. Da John just saw one part of it, the finished product, if you, if you know what I mean. No. 
No. No, he's not. No, definitely not. Oh yeah, and you, you've you've had, you've had. Just say that again, so it can be called. Illuminati are forming the One World Government. So why are they not in cahoots with the Antichrist? They will be. But he's not in it. Is he, is he controlling the Illuminati? The Illuminati are trying to bring in this One World System, this One World Government. You yeah. had Kissinger back in the seventies saying that we're on the brink of a One World Order. Kissinger, back in the 70s, saying on the brink, you have um, Bush standing up, saying we are going to usher in on the wings of an, of an angel, right, a one-world order. Both his dad and, and Junior both said the same thing. They are definitely thinking that they're going to bring back a one-world order where they will be in control. But the little horn does what? Crushes and rips out three other horns. Oh, go on then. Um, do we do we kind of think you know when we talk you talk about Illuminati and things yeah. like that? Do we do we kind of think that it's all the you know we have the idea that there's a few people behind closed doors in control, maneuvering everything into where where we want it to be, where they want it to be, or is it is it pure chaos? Well, not total pure chaos, but is it chaotic? And it's about um, a, a, a guy rising to the top, so there's powers fighting. And ultimately, it's not about a few bunch of people that sit in a room and, and decide it all bloodily, yeah. but actually, this is just about power. And at some point, someone rises to the top. Right. There, there'll be chaos. I absolutely guarantee you there will be financial chaos on this world. There'll be. Famine, I mean, I'm talking about in Europe, you know, in the West. I'm not talking about Africa. There is going to be absolute chaos. And what the Illuminati are looking for, they're looking to set up a one-world system. But who are they going to put there? They believe it's going to be Apollo. Apollos. And um, this whole thing that is going to be coming out of a <laughs> Greek and Roman mindset. Yeah. That could be part of the resurrected... Roni, Holy Roman Empire. Because that's what, well, well, we'll come to that later. That's where, that's where they say that Christianity began, was through who? Constantine. And they called it the Holy Roman Empire. But I don't want to go too much into that because I'll give too much away. Hey, look at Billy. What's he saying? What's he saying? Yeah, they're real. Goblins. Forget about goblins. They're just a type of demon. Yeah, yeah. Forget. It's just another name for it. Yeah. So demon. Absolutely. They're already here. They're they're principalities and powers and workers of wickedness above nations, above cities, above towns, above people. You'll have the resurrection of the um, the uh, nephilim that are now coming along and teaching people. Um, somebody said, was it you, Andy, told me about the video about a huge 
physical being coming to a group of young boys, tell them to reenact, it's on YouTube, reenact a murder. And it's a big figure that's come to them and told them details of a murder and they've got to reenact it. And this is, this is what we are now seeing, the Nephilim coming in to influence young people. It's on, it's on the YouTube. I'm going to try and find it. Somebody was telling me about it. Um, in fact, it was Woody that was telling me about it. Uh, about this, this, this huge beast that he's about nine or ten foot tall, which is, absolutely fits in with the Nephilim. And that he's coming along and teaching these boys how to commit murder and reenact it. That's what they did. That's what they absolutely did. Yeah, absolutely. What about the one world? <laughs> it's going to listen, folks. Can I? I'll, I'll just. I'll give you a little bit of a, a. I'll chuck a little bit of a line out there with a bit of a hook and a bit of bait on. Right. What's the Illuminati looking for? Yeah, but what are they really looking for? What are they really looking for? They've already got power. But who are they going to give it to? They're looking for an entity to come out of space. They're looking for an entity to come out of space and take control of this one world order. That's what they're setting it up for. This is why when you read, they're, they're expecting somebody... Blimey, I can't give too much away. Yeah. They're waiting for Apollos to come out of the, out of the, out of the, the, this, this realm. Even the Vatican are waiting for an alien form to come out of the space and down onto earth. And they are opening up their gates for Vatican II. Right? What are the Muslims waiting for? The Mahdi. The Mahdi. The Messiah. What are the Jews waiting for? The Messiah. <sighs> right? There are, I'll tell you now, this will astound you. There are reptilian creatures walking as humans called shapeshifters on this planet now. When a, can anybody remember David Icke, the sports commentator, that he went and started dressing up in? You know, he has given some, he is a fruitcake. But in some way, God is giving him downloads. And he is speaking a lot of truth. I can show you President Obama's um, security guy where his shapes are shifting, doesn't fully materialize, and you can see this reptilian head, face, on this guy looking around the crowd like this. And he even, he even looks like a... It's, it is incredible, absolutely incredible. And, you know, all I was expecting was a massive tongue to come out and snatch that fly in the end. <laughs> you know, but, but, but it's there. I mean, you know, we think all this is far-fetched, but it is here. So you've got three or th three things, P 
people, nations, political, that are waiting for one thing in common, a Messiah. Might be. Might be. Might be. You might be able to play the piano really well. But I've got the secrets. No, it, honestly. It, you know, the Antichrist will come on the scene and what he will do, he will turn around to the Illuminati, he'll turn around to the Muslims, he'll turn around to the, the, the Jewish nation and he'll say, I'm your Messiah. That's how he will broker peace in Israel. Because the Jews don't, they never recognize Jesus as the Messiah. The Mahdi, which is the 12th Imam, hasn't come on the scene. The Illuminati's Apollos, and I'll give you a massive clue next week, hasn't come on the scene. One will come out of a system. The little horn. And he will declare himself the Messiah. And we will explain a little bit more of that with the, the, the abomination desolation that Daniel speaks about and John speaks about. And we'll have a look at that uh, in, in a lot more detail. And next week and, and the week after, we will definitely be, you know, we'll unpack it. We'll unpack it. You'll, you'll have a pretty good idea of where, what's happening and where it's going to come from. Will we know that? Yes. Okay. Yes. You will definitely know who it is if you are watching for the signs. Because what did he come onto the scene saying? Listen, if you think that we're going to be raptured out, you've got a big mistake. He comes onto the scene saying what? Peace, peace, peace. Peace, peace, peace. He declares peace. He sets up a peace for how long? Three and a half years. So why would God rapture us out when there's peace being declared on earth? doesn't make sense. So it can't be pre-trib. Can it be mid-trib? Well, no, it can't be. It can't be mid-trib. Because it's three and a half years, well, there's going to be all hell loosed on earth. And who's going to fight it? We are. This is the baby that has been born in Revelations 12. Now, most scholars and commentaries will tell you that baby was Jesus. But it cannot be Jesus. Because in John 1, in, in Revelations 1, around about the 24th verse, it says, John, I'm about to show you things yet to come. In Revelations 4, verse 1, it says, Behold, I see a door open, standing open before me, and a voice thundering out, saying, Come up, John, come up higher so I can show you things yet to come to come so chapter 12 cannot I'm jumping months ahead here but chapter 12 cannot be talking about Jesus he's already come it can't be I've, I've read that the, the saints of the most high they, they, the commentaries say that that is the, the Israeli the Jewish people God's chosen people well, actually God I'm, I'm one of yours <laughs> We've been chosen. We've been chosen. We're engrafted in. So it can't be talking about the Israeli people, the Jews. 
can't, the 144,000 cannot be talking about the 12 tribes of Israel because if you compare the 12 tribes written in Revelations to the 12 tribes in, in, in Genesis, they're different. They're different. Read them. There are three differences on those 12 tribes. So what is God saying? We'll try and unpack that when we get to Revelation. But we're going to go straight from Daniel into Revelation. It's a bit mind-blowing, isn't it? But what's the greatest thing is that the woman in Revelations 12 gives birth to this man-child. The man-child gets caught up to where? The throne room. How many are there? 144,000. With the attributes of the 12 tribes of Israel. So you've got to realize what those 12 tribes did, what their role was in the book of Revelations, because this man child will operate under the same anointing of what the attributes of the 12 tribes. I'm just giving you, I'm just giving, I'm going to get people saying it's completely, people will tell you this is completely wrong, it's, but I don't believe it. Because the woman is then where? Spirited away into the desert. You tell me in history where that has happened. And what they're saying is that the woman is Mary, spirited away to Egypt. It can't be. Because the water rushes up after her, the wrath of the devil, the, the water rushes up after her to swallow her up. And what does the earth do? It swallows the water up. Where has that happened? It hasn't happened yet. What does water mean? Come on, folks. What does water mean? In this, if we're looking at sea as people, what does water mean? Could be people. A multitude of people go after the woman in the, in the desert and the earth, God, swallows them up. And then the angels and the man-child that had had a throne room encounter with the Lord, being given all the, the gifts, given everything, given authority, given the marriage, the bride, etc., 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 come down and they go to the, to the woman in the well, uh, the woman in, in, the, in the desert. It's the church. It's the true church. But if you have a look in chapter 13 of Revelations, the devil then turns around what? Where does his attention go? To those saints that are left there without a clue. And that word, I've looked at it, means the majority of Christians sitting in churches are going to be absolutely brought into tribulation. This is talking about the great tribulation. We go through the great tribulation. But we are the answer to the great tribulation. And whilst all this is happening, we're going to have the biggest apostolic reformation of God's kingdom on earth than ever before. We're already into revival. Revival's already started. You're going to have millions and millions and millions. And I will show it to you next week. Next week. Why haven't we had the war in Israel yet? It's coming. It's absolutely coming. I'm, as soon as we see that war break out, which I think will happen next year, the war will break out in Israel. And what is going to come onto the scene? Declaring peace, 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 peace. As soon as we see war break out in Israel, we know the Antichrist is going to come in to play. Oh, there. Who had prayers in the Vatican last Saturday? The Muslims with the Pope. With the Pope, 
Perez and Hamas, this terrorist organization. And what were they praying in the Vatican last Saturday? Peace. There's a big clue where the Pope's realm, what his role is going to be. The, po the, the Pope is going to be the false prophet in the book of Revelation. Praying to, they think they're praying to the same God, don't they? Absolutely. Totally. So we are going to, they're going to say that we're wrong. And they're going to come after us like a, but we're just going to be like Jesus. We're going to walk through this multitude of people that are coming here, we're trying to do, and we're just going to walk out the doors and they will not see us. We will disappear through walls. They will not catch us. We will be spirited away in an instant. They won't see us. And we will, I'll tell you another thing we'll be doing, we'll be preaching in three or four different places at the same time, in different areas of the world. We'll be preaching, we, we will be preaching to multitudes in stadiums for four or five days at a time. Where we will not grow tired, we will not smell, we will not grow, we won't even change our clothes. Because what does that represent? Folks, think about it. Think about the first Passover. They walked out of Egypt, out of Babylon, the world, and none of their clothes disintegrated. The same thing's going to happen for us. Not one feeble among them. Didn't say we didn't smell. We have, listen, we have got to get excited by this. I mean, I could stay here all night and talk about it because we're, we're, we're getting excited. How many, how many are here tonight? But how many are listening? I'm telling you, I'm getting emails of people saying, please, please, continue with Daniel. We're getting so much out of it. Thank you. You, you are feeding us. You, you know, and I bless them, Lord. Bless the people that are listening. You know, because you won't hear this in church. You will not hear this in mainstream church. Because most of them have not got, and I don't mean to be horrible, have not got a prophetic bone in their bodies. Well, total fear. Because they fear... We're going to go through a battle, folks. When has God, when has God ever taken his people out of a battle? Give me one. Never. Never, ever taken them out of the battle. Never. So why would God take his people out in the hell in the biggest battle? Where the, that's right, it is. It is. It's a final countdown. That's, I'll tell you, Heidi, that is prophetic. That is such a prophetic utterance. It is the final countdown. It is. Well, they are. It says that the dead will. It says it in Thessalonians. The dead will rise first. Yeah, and be caught up. But that isn't the rapture. What is that? Then? Have to study Revelations find out. Yeah, but it's so exciting. I mean, I mean, we we are going to see a rapture of type, but it won't be a whole body of people. It's going to be a. Who's it going to be, folks? It's the bride. There's going to be a wedding feast. And Jesus will come back with his bride in the fight that we see in the end of Revelations 22, 23, and 24. 
will be right by him when his gown is getting dripped in blood. We're serving right by him, right beside him. Neville has had experiences of what this army looks like. I've had a dream, an incredible dream, about what this battle will look like. And folks, at the moment, where we are is we're staring down. I mean, God took me to Senlac Hill, the Battle of Hastings. He took me there. And I saw ogres and orgs and, you know, things like, you know, the, out of um, uh, Lord of the Rings. And I saw all this, this, these demons from hell all assembling. And then the next thing is that we see the people, you know, go, backing off. And I'm saying, no, we can take them. We can take them. And then suddenly... I am taken to, there's an actual physical place. I've never been there in Sand Lake Hill where there's a monastery or a church that's been built. And I go into this church and there's this like, you know, the knights that are laying down and they've got those sort of statues and they've got swords and they've got shields and they've got maces and they've got axes and they've got spears and bows and arrows. Well, I'm grabbing out of these vaults all of these weapons that I can carry. I go to the multitude of people now and it's women, It's children, it's old people, it's young people coming to the battle. And they're ordinary people. And what I start doing is I start throwing them all of these weapons of old. They come from tombs, they're the weapons of old. And people start arming themselves, realising we're in a fight, we've got to arm ourselves. And they start taking up what? Formation, Joel's formation that we see In Joel's too, Joel's army, they start taking formation and the Lord plants his banner over us. When the demons see this, they start backing off and they're starting to say, oh my word, we are in a fight now. And they start backing off, but we know there's going to be a fight. But what we're doing, what bushfires roll and what the Lord was showing me in that is we've got to arm the people. Our job is to arm the people from the things of old. There's a new wineskin, but it will come from an old wineskin. There'll be old oil, but it will be new oil for this. That's what it is. We're getting a new wine, and we're getting a new oil. And we cannot back off from this. We can't back off it. And do you know what, folks? If I am wrong, if I am wrong, do you know what? High five. (laughs) Our high five is we're captured up. We're raptured up, not captured up, raptured up. High five, I'll give you a high five as we go up. And, and, but you know, what happens if I'm right? Where does that leave the majority of the church? These are people that love the Lord. And I'm going to give you some stuff of why the Lord is down. God spoke to me. As I was sat at the back there, I clearly, clearly heard him say, why you're here? No, a couple of weeks ago, when just before we meant to have the first night of music. And, but I sat at the back on a Wednesday and I heard the Lord say, when I said, Lord, why, why are there such few people hearing this? Not just you here, but people out on the internet. You know, and the Lord said this, he says, because much is given much is expected that's what the Lord spoke to me about you much you've been given much is going to be expected from you so that should make you have a little bit of fear and trembling before the Lord because you're going to have to go out and tell this to others 
You're going to have to go out and teach us to others. That is what bushfire's mandate is. That's what we're about. We're about getting a group of people like you, a group of people out there, fired up, light their fire, because God is going to light our fire. This will go from one spark and set a nation ablaze. That's been our motto, our strapline of bushfire ministries. Why? Because we're to give vision to people. We're to restore destiny and then to equip them. The throwing over the arms is equipping. We're to equip them for the final battle. I'm telling you, much is going to be expected from you. Now, what you do with it is up to you. But I know what I'm going to do with it. I'm fighting the fight. I know a lot of you here are fighting the fight. That's why you've been around us. Not popular to be around us. Folks, you know, we love the Lord. You know, we love the Lord here and so do you. You love the Lord and that's why you're sat here on a Friday night. It's because much is going to be given to you, much is going to be expected.